0: giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Jennifer Brown. She's an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, author, and diversity and inclusion expert who is a generous leader. She's the founder and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, JBC, and a certified woman and LGBTQ owned firm is a bestselling author of two incredible books, Inclusion, Diversity, The New Workplace, and The Will to Change. And most recently, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive. She is recognized with many awards and she's an incredible podcast The Will to Change. I'm a Will to Changer. This podcast is downloaded to nearly 15,000 listeners per month, almost as much as ROG. (laughs) Jennifer is renowned and sought after keynote speaker. She's an expert in leading research institutions and business schools. She lives in New York City with her partner for over 20 years, Michelle. Jennifer and I met at a women in cable telecommunications conference in New York City in 2017, and I've been a raving fan ever since. Welcome to ROG, Jennifer.
1: Thank you so much, Shannon. I I aspire to get your number of downloads. That's the goal. (laughs) It's it's always like a climb, right? We can get there, but it's not about the numbers. It's about, you know. I'm joking about mine.
0: (laughs) So Jennifer, you have a remarkable story. If
1: you could just give us the highlight reel of your story and your DEI story. Yeah, absolutely. So I began my professional life really thinking I was going to be an activist and a community organizer. And in fact, Michelle and I met as activists in neighboring community justice organizations. And this was in the 90s. But I was also a singer my whole life since a very young age and wanted to perform. And that was really the itch I needed to scratch, I found into my 20s and saying, I got to figure out if this is going to happen for me. So I moved to New York. I went to grad school for operatic vocal performance to really see if I could make it. In the course of operatic training, which is really arduous, I continued to injure myself for some reason. It's just my vocal instrument doesn't have a lot of stamina. I realized I would need to find another way to make a living and a way to really express myself. But I stumbled on the field that I do now. So luckily, so fortunately, because ex-performers had found sort of traded one stage for another. And the stage I found was the, the training stage, the corporate training stage, talking about leadership, which fascinated me. And I ended up going back to school and getting a degree and masters in organizational development and leadership and learning and how adults learn. And I became really fascinated with the organization and how they're currently constructed and who they work for and who they don't work for and how much discontent there is in workplaces. Before I even knew diversity, equity, inclusion was a thing, I was in these corporate training classrooms over and over again with managers and leaders and all over hearing how unhappy people were. I could just see how their potential and their energy was being thwarted. Maybe by themselves, but more most often, I think by a system that wasn't optimized. And then I proceeded to have HR roles internally, and then I got laid off from my last corporate job 15 years ago. And I said, I really think I need to be a training and development company. And then I started Jennifer Brown Consulting, not really knowing DNI was a thing that I could do. But I'm also LGBTQ plus, like you mentioned, and I'd been out since I was 22. I mentioned Michelle and my sort of roots in the activist space. Closeted as a performer, closeted as a corporate person for sure. And really as an entrepreneur, struggling, I think, over the years to really embrace and be out about who I was, because that's the ultimate scary thing to think about well, this person's not going to give me the work that I desperately need to grow my business if they know who I really am. And today I'm very out as both a woman owned company and LGBTQ plus owned company. And we're certified with both of those certifying bodies. And so Now, it's really cool because companies are really seeking to diversify their supply chain and get more diverse suppliers, what's called diverse suppliers, in that vendor group because they know it's good for so many reasons it's good. And so anyway, that was kind of my journey. And I know I was meant to use my voice, just not as a singer. And I really believe these days I am meant to give voice to the voiceless in the organization and really tackle organizations that haven't really been built to be inclusive of a lot of us and are very unaware Or in denial about what's broken in the current modern workplace that, by the way, has been broken since it was built because it was almost built broken because it was built by a very homogeneous group of people. So to me, that means that it was built to work for (laughs) and built in the language of a group of people that didn't identify in all the diversity of that the world identifies in, you know, so it's just very out of step. It's out of date. It's extremely overdue for an overhaul. This past year has really been a huge wake-up call to point out what we've known for years, which is that this system is honestly bad for a lot of us in terms of our ability to thrive and reach our potential. I mean, a lot of us leave corporate because we just can't stand it for so many reasons, diversity-related and otherwise too. But I do tend to focus on the way that identity really feels like an extra burden too many of us or, and our identities, plural, particularly if we don't fit into the mold that we see how that necessitates doing double work to survive on a day-to-day basis. And that's bad for our health. It's bad for our morale. It's bad for companies and bad for retention, honestly, in the bottom line.
0: Yes, indeed. So let me just circle back on your voice, which is angelic. I have had the opportunity to hear it and it's truly angelic. And to think that that was the path that you aspired to, you had the rare talent to be able to do that and then to have to shift gears so significantly, yet still find purpose and meaning and look for a way to utilize your strengths and gifts. I think that's beautiful. And then two things that you said that I want to talk about one of them was the word you used covering and i know you speak about that a lot as the covering of not bringing your full self to work not bringing your best self to work because you're covering so that you're kind of protected so let's just start there let tell us a little bit about what that is why that happens and how we can help to uncover right ourselves and to help create environments where those would feel comfortable to also be truly transparent.
1: I think that is the goal. It's ourselves and then it's the responsibility that we have or the opportunity that we have to shift the system around us, which is equally important, I think. covering was originally a book by Kenji Yoshino who is a gay Asian-American dad, professor, so very intersectional in, in many ways, and wrote about his unique story of downplaying his known stigmatized identities, which is how it's defined. And then he went on to do a research report with Christy Smith at the time at, through Deloitte. And the covering report, still available online, but it just was a revelation to me because it gave me language to how we anticipate bias, how we anticipate being negatively stereotyped and in anticipation of that, knowing that that's probably going to happen. And remember, perception is reality. So we could argue, well, Jennifer, we we don't live in the day anymore when that happens. And I would say, no, respectfully, that is not, we are not done with bias everywhere. We're talking about it now more, but it certainly, uh, I don't think, has necessarily lessened in any meaningful way. Maybe it's gotten even worse, we could argue. But covering is that it's preemptive downplaying. It is me, not, maybe I am out selectively, but maybe I just never talk about it. Maybe I never talk about Michelle. Maybe I never talk about family or the hobbies we do, or the, the cultural activities that we take part in or, our um, you know, our, philanthropy and our sort of involvement, I can very conveniently leave that out and not make other people uncomfortable and not draw attention to it. What was fascinating to me is that the effort that goes into this like double work of seeking psychological safety and seeking kind of a safe harbor. And to many of us who sense our difference is going to make a difference and not a difference we want, we take these preemptive steps; it becomes habit, and I think it diminishes. And the study says this too: it diminishes our sense of self, you know, our potential, our energy, our health, for sure. And also, then it deprives, I think, others to be impacted by us. The learning that we all desperately need as aspiring allies means that we are met face to face with difference. You know, that we care for someone, that we build a relationship and trust across difference. And that we know and we see those differences. We witness those differences in real time. And I think that's how we're changed. That's how opinions are changed. Knowing one, at least one person, hopefully more from a community, like from the trans community, that I have a very close friend who's not white and feels the safety with me to share what their experience is like. That's the big caveat to this is, is have I built that kind of trust with others? So the covering behaviors hurt us and we've done them for real reasons and we still do them to this day. And I know that the statistics show that half of LGBTQ plus people are still closeted in the workplace. And this is a statistic from 2019 from the HRC that's being in the closet, but it's also degrees of covering. It's degrees of the subtle ways that we shape shift, right? And I think that those are just as pernicious, if not worse, because it accumulates the subtle lies or the omissions um the managing of our image, keeping track of sort of <laughs> who we've been honest with and who we haven't. I mean, it's all extremely exhausting. And then you add in, hey, I'm black and here's my experience in the workplace and I might be LGBTQ plus. So then it becomes intersectional, right? The consideration of the the sort of compounding, covering efforts and the perception of the need to cover to survive and be given those career opportunities and get that seat at the table without being too much this or too much that, we are constantly thinking about how to present the most sort of frictionless version of ourselves. Then we have to kind of go around the argument and say, well, you should care because if you're a leader, you will be measured and held accountable for how effectively you lead across difference you are doing business in a world that is diversifying. And so our talent needs to look like the world that we do business in. That's what we need to achieve. And so it doesn't matter. The moral argument of empathy isn't always the thing that's going to cause the behavior change while I wish that were all we needed, I have gotten extremely good. And a lot of us who do this work have had to get extremely good at explaining this in different ways that will appeal to somebody's logic or bottom line or their selfish motivations. What I care about is impact. I've seen some of these letters that are written and emails that are sent escalate all the way to the CEO. And there's a little chat and there's a a conversation that happens and a choice that is provided to people to say, hey, the world is changing and we as a company need to change with it. When we come back, Jennifer will share with us about
0: the essential role of language for inclusion and explains why pronouns matter. Introducing the brand new Quad Pod Podcast Network. At Quad Pod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you are. Visit QODPOD.com. The Quad Pod Podcast Network. That's QODPOD.com. And we're back with more from the incredible Jennifer Brown. So the other thing you said in your opening comment was about language, the language that we use, the words that we use, including pronouns. So I want to just start with that because I think there is some confusion for people about why all of a sudden are people talking about pronouns? And I think you would be a great person to help unpack that.
1: Yeah. It has big implications for what we're talking about, actually. It's a great example that I use a lot, which is, so first of all, we have to understand that identity is on a continuum. It's not a binary. So we all sit somewhere on this clothesline, you know, of identity. I might argue, maybe it shifts over time. Some people would say, well, identity is fixed. And it just takes some of us a whole lifetime to discover where our true identity is, right? Which is a different question. So sexual orientation is who I'm romantically attracted to, who I want to set my life up with, could be sexually attracted, et cetera. Gender identity is a completely different sort of think of them as parallel continuums. They're not the same. So when you hear LGBTQ+, that's a conflation actually of both sexual orientation and gender identity in that acronym, which I think is confusing to people. And even people in the LGBTQ community are confused about gender identity. I just want to say, when I introduced myself, I should have done this today. I should have said my pronouns are she, her, hers. I don't say preferred pronouns because they're not preferred if they are innate. So we get rid of preferred and we just say my pronouns. And those pronouns can be She, her, hers, they can be he, him, his, they can be they, them, theirs. And then there's a lot of others that I won't go into, but those are the main ones. If gender identity then is on this continuum, not the same continuum as sexual orientation, remember, which is whom I'm attracted to, what gender I'm attracted to. Gender identity is that I'm a cisgender woman, which means that my sense of my gender matches the gender of the body I was born in. So to you, I would appear as female. Although we always need to check that because what we see does not tell us the whole story in many, many ways about diversity dimensions and this one very particularly. So I don't want to assume like looking at you, Shannon, I don't want to assume your pronouns are she, her, hers. I see what I see and I sort of surmise. To me, it needs to be confirmed because we can't assume that our world around us, everyone around us is cisgender. By the way, before last year, June, we could lose our employment for coming out at work in 35 states. And there was a Supreme Court ruling last year. June had a lot going on in it. So I think it came and went along with everything else that was going on, but it was a very important ruling. So the fear that so many of us have of both disclosing our sexual orientation, right? Who we love And our gender identity, I'm trans or I'm gender non-binary and I'd like you to call me they, them pronouns. That stuff was literally in a very concrete way at, at putting your job at risk. And it still is. I mean, when we don't have all the protections, certainly it stirs up bias, discrimination, whether we hear it or not, it's still an enormous risk to be ourselves at work, particularly if we don't identify as cisgender. We as cisgender people and aspiring allies to that community need to make it safe to talk about gender identity. And that's the reason why we use our pronouns when we convene a new team or when we're introducing ourselves to anybody new, we constantly want to make it a practice to say, hey, I see you. I'm not making an assumption that I identify in the way that you do. I want to open that door for you to someday when you're feeling safe, share your pronouns with me, so that we can call you by the right name. Because imagine being called something that feels completely opposite to how I identify. All we need to do is imagine somebody like for me, it would be calling me he, him, which wouldn't feel true to me. So it would be bizarre to say the least. And also why people say, well, that's not great. I can't like grammatically say they, them in sentences and things like that. I just, I want to give advice to folks like, again, This is not the right, wrong. This is not the agree, disagree. It is literally call people what they want to be called like let's not take a position on something that we really know nothing about from a personal lived experience perspective. It's not our place. What we need to be listening for as inclusive leaders is how does somebody experience the world? How do they want to engage with me? How will they feel psychological safety? Because all of that leads, remember, to creativity, to innovation, to relationship building, all of these things that to me are the DNA of business, of organizations, of output We, I think, create best when we feel that we are seen and heard. So every leader's job in my book is to say, where are people not feeling seen, heard, supported, acknowledged, talked about? Are we silent on things that matter to people? Am I silent on things that I should be verbalizing? Where are there biases that are challenging talent that I want to succeed and thrive? And what can I do to be in solidarity in, in changing that, and shifting that, in supporting, in nominating, advocating, and championing? This is our job. This is our job now is really getting up close and personal with what's changing in our workforce and really kind of rolling up our sleeves with this because we have to make every person count. And whatever gets in the way of that, I mean, gosh, that's what made me leave corporate. I I was like, I can never be successful here. No matter how hard I try, I feel like the system is stacked against me. And I don't know what difference really strong and activated allies would have made for me, but it was too little too late. So if we're like, trying to recruit people in, let's let's really hold on to them and enable them to thrive. Absolutely.
0: And I think that's a great segue to your inclusive leader model, because you, what you're saying is we're on this journey, we're on this continuum. So if you could just really quickly give us the, the highlight reel of what it means or how to be an inclusive leader.
1: Absolutely. So There's four stages in my model and it's circular. So it's not meant to be linear. We start in unaware, which is phase one, which is, I don't know, there's a problem. I don't agree. I'm not part of the problem. I'm a good person. A lot of that stuff can be in unaware. I'm not taking action because I'm afraid to say the wrong things. I'm sitting on the sidelines, all of that. So what we want to do is move from unaware to aware, which is phase two, which is okay. Now I know there's a problem. There's a gap. There's a challenge. I want to see difference. I want to understand and read and consume media, not made by and for people that identify like I do. I want to open my eyes. And I want to examine myself and really understand the difference between I'm a good person, which is the intent, and the impact. Really, you're only an inclusive leader if somebody else deems you an inclusive leader. To me, our own self-estimation is flawed. It's imperfect, it's incomplete. The measure of it is in others' eyes. So in aware, we're, we're trying to sort of digest all this information, but then we have to do something with it, which is the third phase, which is active. So I want to activate this knowledge and I want to start using different language, sharing my pronouns, speaking about my diversity dimensions, my struggle with my own biases, we're going to get a lot wrong in active because it's when we sort of take our show on the road, but it's still fresh. It's still newly minted and it's awkward and it may not go well and you may need to apologize and you're going to get it wrong. And I tell people in active don't make perfect the enemy of the good. Don't be afraid to show up imperfectly, it's so important to say, hey, I'm a work in progress and here's what you're going to see me learning and doing and attempting and getting wrong. And I really, really want feedback, but I'm not going to lean on others to do the labor of my learning. People who are like in leadership positions have that kind of capital and that power and access to question how we've done things, question the root of the systems that cause so many biased outcomes so many unfair outcomes so um such problems with equity so when you're an advocate level you're like you're really swinging every day fearlessly tirelessly unapologetically, you don't wait for permission. And so there's these four phases. And I think depending on, like you said, we can be extremely advanced in one because we have a lived experience or say our kid has a disability and we're an advocate for them. And so we've become advocate level, but there's other identities that we are still in sort of our infancy learning about, like gender identity is a great example. And yet remember that so many new people coming into the workplace identify as not cisgender and not straight. I heard a statistic one in five under the age of 35 identifies as not straight and not cisgender. So it may be a completely unfamiliar area, but it's an area that we all, we need to take that on board and get out of unaware to aware and do lots of learning, lots of TV watching, podcast listening, whatever your preferred mode is also I just want to say we need to diversify our networks, our personal networks, our workplace networks, our teams. Think about like where do we intersect with people across difference so that we can kind of put the meat on the bones of everything we're studying and learning and really endeavoring to build in ourselves. That's important. And we tend towards people that look like us. It's just human, but we have to actively work against that. We have to say, so where can I take advantage of different associations, attending affinity group events with different identities and just listen, just listen and absorb. Don't agree, disagree. Don't take a position. It's not about that. It is literally just let it, let it in make it a part of how you lead It doesn't mean having the answers, but it does mean that you've taken effort to expose yourself to other lived experiences besides yours. And that you're also investigating your own privileges, which I want to say I'm an LGBTQ woman. So I've got some struggles on that from a marginalization perspective, but I also have white skin. I also Have certain educational backgrounds. I have different privileges, socioeconomic privileges that have enabled things in me. And I think it's so important to activate from a place of privilege with a small p, all the privileges that all of us have, honestly. Regardless of your identity, we can be, we are both and beings. You know, we have all these pieces of us that we can be activating around both getting the support we need to find our voice, but also giving the support so others can find their voice. And we can be doing both of those things at the same time. So that's how I think about it. And I hope that's helpful.
0: Really helpful, Jennifer, really remarkable and something that all of us can learn from and identify with. And I love how you often say that ally is a verb, not a noun. And that's exactly what you're saying. It's like, how do we get activated? And for those who are hearing this and thinking, oh, I want more, I want more. Jennifer is such a generous leader and the will to change podcast is so remarkable. And what there's like 153 episodes. She just did one on generational differences. It's remarkable. So when you're like, oh, this is really sparking something in me, there's so much more. This woman offers incredible resources, a free assessment that you can take on her website about how to be an inclusive leader. That's something I would highly recommend. Her website, jenniferbrownspeaks.com is incredible. So I'm going to close and reciprocate what you wrote in my copy of the inclusion book, Diversity, the New Workforce and the Will to Change that I bought in 2017. You signed in this book, thank you for using your voice for others. And Jennifer, thank you for using your voice for others.
1: Thank you for having me. I love this conversation. I really appreciate it.
0: Rog takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Of the countless things Jennifer shared in celebration of Pride Month, let's focus on three, covering, language, and being an inclusive leader. Number one, covering. The Deloitte study Jennifer mentioned called Uncovering Talent, a New Model for Inclusion defined it this way Covering is the downplaying of a known, stigmatized identity. In this study, it was found that the population of people most covered is the LGBTQ community at 83%. That means 83% of the people in the LGBTQ community covered up and downplayed a known and stigmatized attribute or detail that may out them. As Jennifer mentioned, until June 2020, people could be fired because of who they love and how they identify. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects gay, lesbian, and transgender employees from discrimination based on sex. That was last year. What parts of you are you covering? What are you not sharing with others for fear of judgment, ridicule, and backlash? All of us are covering something. Is it your values, beliefs, age, spirituality, family status, disabilities, health concerns, medical care, history with substance abuse or homelessness? One way to create a more open and inclusive culture is for leaders to share more about themselves. Uncover some of the parts of our personal lives, stories, and identities that make us uniquely us. It's scary and risky, and often the key to deepening trust. Number two, language. Words matter a lot. One thing all of us can do to apply what we've learned is to be more thoughtful and inclusive with our words. For example, say orientation instead of preference. Say partner versus husband, wife, or spouse. Say pronouns instead of he or she. Jennifer skillfully explained the differences between sexual orientation and sexual identity. They are two separate things. Who are you attracted to and how do you identify? Merriam-Webster even designated the singular they as their 2019 word of the year in attempt to end the question of what to call someone whose gender is non-binary. An important word is cisgender, informally abbreviated cis, c-i-s. This is a person whose gender identity matches their sex assigned at birth. If you're cisgender, and based on what Jennifer said, four out of five are cisgender, make it easier for others to share their identity by sharing yours. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Never assume, always clarify, and start with you. Number three, being an inclusive leader. Jennifer's model has four phases unaware, Aware, active, and advocate. Think about a singular community with whom you do not already identify in these three dimensions ethnicity, sexual identity, and abilities. Of these three communities you've just envisioned one ethnic group, one sexual identity, and one form of abilities which are you most aware of? Who have you invested in and learned the most about? You're beyond unaware, and you're either aware active, or an advocate for this community? Of these three communities that you've just envisioned, one ethnic group, one sexual identity, and one form of abilities, which are you most unaware of? You recognize there are stereotypes and stigmas attributed to this community, but never really thought about the impact that those stereotypes and inequality has on the members of that community. What's one step that you could take to become more aware? Phase two. To recap our takeaway tip, number one, think about your own covering and what part of your identity you may begin to share more about. If you're nervous and unsure, ask a trusted friend or colleague and weigh out the pros and cons. Practice in your safest spaces. Number two, be mindful and intentional about your language. Aim for inclusive language. Openly share your pronouns and make it okay for others to do the same. Rename yourself on Zoom and add your pronouns and use they more often. And number three, recognize the ways you're growing through the phases of how to become an inclusive leader. Stay in the game and continue to do the work. You're contributing to the desperate change that's needed. Being generous includes being generous with yourself and acknowledging that you're on a journey and you're not always going to get it right. I certainly don't. And it also means being generous and inclusive of others like giving space and honoring the authentic uniqueness of each and every single person. Until next week, stay inclusive and generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give.
1: We grow when
0: we give. We grow
1: when we give.